Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we have Chase Parham with an Egg Bowl reaction show. We talked about the ugly win for Ole Miss last night, the completion of another 10-2 season, what it means, what Lane Kiffin has accomplished in his four years at Ole Miss, the chances of the Rebels going to an Access Bowl, and what this, where this Ole Miss program stands as we are now about to enter a new era of college football with the 12-team playoff and uh, all the remarkable accomplishments that Ole Miss has done or achieved to position itself well to enter this new era of college football. And we talked a little bit about the Mississippi State situation and the Egg Bowl history as a whole as well. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. If this podcast is brought to you by Seaspire, it's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself a hassle by not waiting for your internet to connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online today to cspire.com slash home and use the promo code RIPPY at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this show, sign up for Cspire Home Internet today and use RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You get the first month free. How awesome is that? Can't be waiting for the internet to drop. I've got Cspire Home Internet. It is the best. You should do it too. Check them out. Cspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox at the top of the sports handicapping industry. There is literally no better time of the year to sign up for Skybox than right now. College basketball, their bread and butter that they rake in every year is heating up. You've got the end of the college football season, bowl games coming up. Sign up for a picks package today. And get yourself a little holiday extra money to, you know, spend on Christmas presents or doing whatever the hell it is you like to do. They are the professionals. It is all based on math. Don't be the guy that loses every single week because of your own leans 15 minutes before kickoff. Go online cease, uh, to skyboxsportspicks.com. Select a picks package within your price range. You can try it with a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. It'll pay for itself and then some. Sign up, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That gets you 20% off at checkout. And boom, you get your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and you are more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a RIPPY Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats right now. If you're a RIPPY Rights subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets. For 20 bucks, if it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Chase. 
All right, we now welcome on Rebel Grove's Chase Parham, taking the place of Weldon, as Weldon is doing a myriad of different Thanksgivings uh, across the state of Louisiana, it sounds like. So we'll talk to him on Sunday, but wanted to get Chase's reaction. I think we did this last year or two years ago. I can't remember, but I, what did you make of the game? I, I It didn't play out like I thought it would, but then halfway through you know, the fourth quarter where they got up 10 or whatever it was, I was kind of like, all right, this is what it is. It was just a very bland game. I didn't rewatch it. First things first, does Weldon have like a four Christmases kind of thing going with Thanksgiving? Like, what 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 are we what are we doing with here? I I think his wife is from Baton Rouge as well, so that's always tough when you're from the same hometown. So, I want to say, and they're all from there too. So, I think there's maybe two sides of each okay. family's Thanksgiving at once. He just mentioned, I was like, "Do you have any window on Friday?" And he goes, "I'm going to be honest, no." I was like, "Okay, fair <laughs> enough, man. We'll catch you Sunday." You know, I, I was really thinking about it. I think I asked you on the post game last night. Did I ever feel? Did you ever feel like Ole Miss was going to lose the game? And in hindsight, I want to say no, but there were some moments there um, when when State scores just because Ole Miss had done nothing offensively, and in your head you're going, okay, there's two or three different things here because I I think I did this in my mind. I was trying to go ahead and get stuff ready for rapid reaction. And I knew we had the post-game show starting as soon as it was over. So in my head, I'm going, okay, I need to write kind of a win because I think they're going to win, but I need to have some thoughts on a loss too to kind of immediately be able to get those out there. And it was, if they lose this game, it's because they do not score a touchdown in this game. It's because they never find the end zone because State had put a drive together, but I did never, I never thought they could do that consistently and go score points. That just wasn't, that wasn't a part of State's offense. It's, was Dart healthy enough to run enough or go through his reads? Because, you know, in the first half, I thought that Jackson simply wasn't even getting through his progressions correctly to find open receivers. There were guys open, and he just couldn't seem to pull the trigger. And then, two, the more important ones, could they block and give him time and confidence and protection in that way? And State did a really good job in the front seven disrupting things. Ole Miss played like a team that was missing its two tackles for the uh, really the third game in a row, counting Georgia. So – Yes, I, I agree with you. I think it was exactly what you kind of thought. You're just trying to slum your way through it. You're trying to score once or twice and put it away. And if you ever got any positive momentum, it was going to be ball game as far as that goes. But sure, there was a few moments in that where I'm looking at it and going, hey, State's made this the disgusting, ugly, muddy game it had to be to stay competitive and stay in it. And at some point, Ole Miss has to wake up or they're in real danger here. Um, but it's 60 minutes is a long football game. There's going to have a lot of possessions. A lot of stuff happens, and it was just going to take that one time. I mean, frankly, even if Ole Miss doesn't score the second touchdown when pre-scoring gets loose there in the middle of the field, I still think they win the game 10-7, 13-7, whatever at that point. They were by far the better team. State lived off emotion. State lived off the situation as far as they had such a mismatch with their front seven against Ole Miss's offensive line because of the injuries. Um, and – you know, Will Rogers was not healthy, but he did just enough to kind of get those two drives going. You know, what's funny about it, and I'm rambling, so stop me whenever. I'm just kind of thinking through this as I talk. Will Rogers had his most success when they were in hurry up, when they had to fight the clock, when they had to kind of scramble a little bit. It's really the epitome of Mississippi State season is that they spent this entire year trying to set this pro-style thing up for the future. It's not what their best quarterback was comfortable in, and the only time that he even sort of looked comfortable was when they were in stressful hurry up tempo situations because that's what he's known his entire career. It, it just shows where that program is right now because you allowed a coach to come in and with Zach Arnett, raise his own money in an aisle. He did a decent job of it. 
you tell him, hey, change the system, no problem. Like, it's your baby. Figure it out, even if this year doesn't go badly. And then as soon as it kind of goes haywire, knowing it's going to go haywire, you know it. You know the whole time that this pro set thing's not going to work offensively. They don't have the right personnel for it. And you just completely bell on the guy. And and you end up where you kind of deserve what happened last night. You deserve to be trying to hope that 12 teams win that are 5-6 and six to keep your rinky-dink bowl streak thing alive or whatever it is they're trying to do from that standpoint here. This morning, um, there's a lot of buzz about Jeff Levy being their next coach. Again, this is 248 on Friday, so if they hire somebody else in the next 10 minutes, I'm sorry. But um, I I thought what last night was, kind of to close this opening statement, is I thought Ole Miss found the right gears with their leadership, the right guys to make plays. I thought that Dart shined in ways, Judkins shined in ways. Harris had that big catch when he had the the one-on-one coverage on the side that was a big play there late. Their best players did enough. They were the better team, and they were always going to win the football game. And on the other side, State did everything they could do, and it still simply wasn't enough because of the things that have happened inside that team, the rebuild, and, frankly, their administration and the way they've handled things the last 12 months. Coming out slinging shots over across the path. But I do agree with it, too. And you you mentioned you'd asked me if I ever thought they were going to lose last night. I said yes. Neil said no. Both. Answers are understandable, but you know, I, as y'all both have seen, the 2013 Egg Bowl and like those games get weird, and the games in Starkville, and they're making it you know a much bigger deal because they don't have a whole hell of a lot to play for. And so the reason I thought the only reason I thought they you know this could lose is two, is one you mentioned states path was muddying up the game their only path to a victory last night was exactly how the game played out as you said it ultimately wasn't enough but you know we're halfway through the third quarter there's 20 something minutes left to play in the game and state is up four points and Ole Miss has done nothing offensively so we were pretty well on down that path and it got diverted by Ole Miss scoring twice there late but that was the only reason I really thought like okay man what 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 is this going to happen over the next 20 minutes or so to credit Ole Miss they rebound as they've always done they have a knack for anytime things go haywire they sort of answer with the touchdown they didn't against Arkansas they didn't against LSU that's kind of become this team's brand of resiliency you bring up an interesting point though at the beginning of that you're working on rapid reaction you need to you know they're probably going to win the game what am I writing about what do you write about in a loss? Did you ever get that far? Like what? I couldn't even wrap my head around that once you said it. What is the reaction in a loss? Is it that Lane doesn't value the game enough and now he's thrown two duds against in-state rival? What, what do you talk about if they did lose? <laughs> no, because look, I think I think Lane takes the right tack here. It's, hey, we're not going to get caught up in this emotion. We're not going to get all into it in the middle of the week. And we're not going to put the countdown clocks up and all that crap because – Lane's goal as head coach of this program is to be a national program and compete for the playoff starting next season. I mean, starting now, Ole Miss will – the next time Ole Miss laces it up in a regular season game, it will be with a 12-team playoff at the end of the season as far as what they're competing for. So he does the right thing. Now, on the other side, I think he you – no, know, okay, we'll get there in a minute. To your question, a loss – if they lose this game last night, it was not going to be that Lane did anything wrong in the preparation as far as for that game. I think he prepares correctly as far as it is pro mindset. It's another team. We have to understand the emotion that team has to the point that we don't have negative emotion. We can't get caught up in their crap. You can't get the retaliation penalties. you got to just play your game. You're the better team. You're the more talented team. Stay calm. Go win the game and then get the hell out of here and go home. That's the way Lane was taking it throughout the week. I think he did the right thing. What I would have done was take the third note I made last night and moved it up to the first one, and it would have been the story of it, which is that 
while Ole Miss had a hell of a season still at nine and three, um, they beat the Vegas odds by two game and a half, two games, whatever. If they do that, their one big issue from a management standpoint would have come back to haunt them, which is they do not play a lot of guys offensively. They have a really small rotation and that the lack of workable depth showed that the injuries up front made it a, a game they did not win. Because if Ole Miss is healthy with Williams and Pettis, they block better, they score more points, and they beat State last night 31-7 to or 34-7 to or 27-7 to or whatever, where it's, it's a route and we're not having even that conversation and that thought there in the third quarter. But when you look at Ole Miss's game participation stuff, they went through this season 10-2 and with basically three wide receivers. They played Jordan Watkins, they played Dre Harris, and they played Dayton Wade. And two of those guys got hurt at one point during the year. They played two running backs. They played Bentley. They played Judkins. Bentley gets hurt last night. Judkins has stayed pretty healthy. Up front, they don't really trust anybody outside of the five guys they've had in the game with the shuffling. Um, you know, Eli Acker is not playing much. Bryson Sanders, who I think they really like as a freshman, is not playing. They're just not doing much there. When pre-scoring goes out, they don't even use a tight end, basically. They just run extra stuff out there and figure out the 11 any way they can. I, I think that's what's interesting about it is that offensively, and you can't blame tempo because you still can get guys out there for a series here or there. There's ways to work them in to get some type of game-ready depth. Defensively, Ole Miss has done a nice job. They've played a lot of guys. they figured out rotations. They're getting – Different niche play out of a lot of guys on defense. Golding's done a hell of a job with that. I give him an A-plus for the year as far as how he's managed everything, as far as getting things accomplished and getting some workable depth for the future. That hasn't happened in offense, and if they lose the game, that would have been why they lost. It would have been simply that they did not have enough reinforcements ready and prepared and that they trust to make up for losing Williams and Pettis and that it just spiraled into what what would have been a very devastating night for Ole Miss. It would have. And your point about particularly the not playing a lot of guys on offense, the offensive on up front is is very relevant because I'm not I'm not suggesting that people glossed over it, but people don't like to center and center their focus on the offensive line when they're watching a football game, of course. And so it's kind of like, all right, they're without two tackles, but they still got five large guys out there. It should be fine. Well, it's not. <laughs> that would affect any team. You lose two tackles and you have to go play an SEC road game. That would be tough ask for any team in the conference, really Georgia and Alabama included in that as well and it, it's exacerbated and underscored even more so because you mentioned they don't have a lot of depth on offense they don't play a lot of guys so it's not just you're without two tackles it's now jeremy james is playing tackle for a while warren's Look. playing guard and mcintyre's the center i know they went back to warren at uh center last night because mcintyre's had some snap issues but it's even more so because it's, it's it's taking the other four slots out of their natural cadence and rhythm and making them play other positions too Brian, I mean, I'll look at it here. I'm going to put these stat counts up on the site probably before we even get this podcast loaded. Ole Miss offensively last night, players who played more than three snaps, 12 players. 12 players made wow. played more than three snaps offensively last night. Think about that. Who's the non-starter that played more than three? And I know Ulysses some Bentley played 16. Line. Who did? Bentley played 16. Oh, right. It's the second running back. McGee, 76, pre-corns. Yeah, McGee, 70. They played. They had 76 offensive snaps. McGee, 76, pre-corns, 76. Caleb, 76. Jeremy James, 76. McIntyre, 76. Dayton Wade, 76. Kern, 76. Trey Harris, 75. Dart, 74. Watkins, 67. Judkins, 59. Bentley, 16. What do you make of pre-score never leaving the field? That, that's got to be a first this season. Uh, the only time they had another tight end in the game was Heath, and he played one snap when they went into a two tight end set. 
That was it. They don't yeah. trust anybody else. And he and he's a really good run blocker when they are down at tackle, so they need his extra body out there. 100%. And that probably, in some ways, was the difference in the game, some of those runs particularly. J.J. Pegues was Ole Miss's 13th most offensive player as far as Two. snap count. Pegues. Two snaps, I'm guessing? Three. Three. Good Lord. So Lethal Hempel played two. Sanders played two. Heath played one. Braylon Brown played one. Eli Acker played one. Caden Lee played three. And so, again, it's just clear that they were a very injured and battered football team that did what they needed to do to win the game. I think the Lane's approach to this game is fascinating, too, because Weldon brought it up before, right before I was going to ask him about it earlier in the week where Weldon kind of – stumped on the fact that Lane does not give a damn about this game one way whatsoever. And I pushed back a little bit because I thought it was a little more nuanced. It's, it's not getting the clocks and the, you know, counting down clocks and getting worked up over all of it in special jerseys and the Mullen approach. He's somewhere in the middle. And I think it played to Ole Miss's favor last night because state was trying to get that game very chippy. Uh, I mean, I thought a reflection of it was a point Jeffrey made last night. That was very good was that Dart Dart didn't talk the entire game. And then finally, when the game's over and they run, get the last first down, then he just starts letting everybody around him have it once the game's in hand. <laughs> Ole Miss was very collected um, from an emotional standpoint. State had some pretty testy, out-of-bounds, late borderline late hits. There was a targeting in there. Judkins said on one of his angry runs after Dart got went out for targeting that he took it personally because he said, all, you know, Dart's laying there on the ground and he felt like the state guys were crowding over him. But they didn't let that get into him into extracurricular activities, personal fouls that are going to kill drives. But then Lane, after the game, as he's done a couple times throughout the week, mentioned, you know, I just surprised he uttered the phrase glad to get the trophy back where it belongs and talking about going on the rebel road trip and having to hear about it all off season. And then the kicker to me was he said he was reading a book on the way there about historic games in the egg bowl rivalry. I, I'm not necessarily going the LeBron James doesn't actually read books route and calling him out on that, but do you actually buy into the fact that he appreciates the history of this rivalry? Because I think his approach is exactly what you said. I don't think any way, any of it is rooted in his appreciation of the history of the rivalry. Look, everything Lane Kiffin does as it pertains to this is for a purpose. Yes. And it, the purpose going that's where I was going a second ago, but I didn't want to jump too far ahead. The purpose going into the week is different than the purpose coming out of the week. The purpose going into the week, like I said, is to calm down, play your game. Because even in addition to what you said, there was multiple times where Judkins or Bentley wanted to retaliate and Dart was grabbing them yep. and going, quit, get back to the huddle, let's go. We're just, don't don't listen to that crap. Get with it. And it was, let them have all the negative emotion, let them play themselves out of plays. Just, you're the better team, play the game, be professional. Coming out of the game... I don't think it's that Lane cares about Mississippi State. I don't think it's that he's gotten so entrenched in the Egg Bowl and the rivalry that he's, you know, he's not going to have the same feelings that like Tom Luke, who's an Ole Miss lifer, is going to have when it comes to this game. I think I think they annoy him. I think that's the word I would use. I think State annoys him. The cowbells, the that entire deal. I, I don't think he likes going down there. I think he was frustrated by losing in that game because, you know, look, there was a part of him that, Mike Leach was a good friend of Lane Kiffin. And I think he thought, hey, if we're going to lose, I'm glad it was Mike and his last game and that thing. But he still didn't enjoy losing in that fashion to that team. He knows it's important to his job and his curating and all those things. But here's the more important thing. I think everything that he did to play up like that last night, and now look, he put a bunch of pictures out. Him and he is. He's playing into the winning the rivalry game last night. It's a little bit of just his annoyed – 
sense of that place in his mind. It's also for recruiting. It's reminding all these in-state kids. It's going, hey, look, I'm three and one now. It's it's for that purpose, in my opinion. I mean, look, you've got Braylon Burn, Burnside, who was committed to state for five or six months. He's making a decision here in six weeks, five weeks, something like that. He's from Starkville. He's speaking to players, I feel like, going, hey, they don't have a coach. We're 10 to won three of the last four Egg Bowls. We run this thing. We've won in Starkville the last two times. Frankly, they're three and one in the last four trips as a program to Starkville. Look at the difference. I'm going to point that out for you here, and I'm going to hold up this big trophy, and I'm going to take these pictures, and I'm going to take pictures with Dart and Judkins and my dudes and the leaders of this team, and we're going to do it that way. I, I feel like it's for that purpose more than this, oh, I'm so relieved that I have this emotional hatred for Mississippi State, and I'm going to put it in their face and show State that, you know, but no, 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 no. It's, it's very – it's very much more um, systemic and and pointed in tangible ways as far as what he's trying to accomplish. I feel like with Lane, and look, Lane likes uh, he likes the Twitter machine. He likes all the pub that comes with things. I mean, he's not he's not immune to that, and that game gives him a lot of chances to to, to play into it and play up to it. And look, if we are correct again, this is three o'clock on November the twenty fourth, and it is Levy. They've got a bit of a history. Lane might also have been go ahead and starting the, uh, the 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 bow a little bit, if you will, last night. Yeah, it's not a good history either. That 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 might change his approach if that actually comes to fruition. You mentioned everything he does with the purpose. Do you have any insight on this Sprinter van ride home? This is now two years in a row where a bunch of somewhat iconic photos have come out with Lane and select players riding on what appears to be a different bus than the team bus on the way back from Starkville. I mean, how I've seen the photo of him and Corral put on shirts over the last two years. Did he don't? I don't think he does that normally for every road trip. Do you have any insight on this Sprinter van and how it gets in? Because Malik Heath, I saw like tweeted something about it. It was like Lane never let me on that van or whatever it was. It's is this like an elite club? Have you noticed this at all? Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about that last night. It's like, how does that work as far as how you get invited to the van? It's like Lane walk by and go, "Hey, you're riding home with me." Does he have Tom or somebody like hand cards or keys to players? Like, what are we doing to show them? Hey, they have an invitation to the van. I, I, I don't know. That's a great question. We need to we, we need to scope that out. Might need to do a story on it. The only thing that I do know for sure is I know a lot of times Lane and the coordinators will fly back separate from the team or differently because they're going ahead and recruiting and working on things for the future weeks, and it kind of gives them a private head start that's not around players where you're discussing things that you would not necessarily want to discuss in front of the entire team. So my guess is it's associated with that. It's just, hey, it's the last game of the season. There is no game next week, so let's invite some guys on, leaders, and let's 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 you know yuck it up and have a party a little bit. But I think the purpose of that is for Pete and Lane and Weiss and those guys to um, go ahead, get some recruiting done, get some more sensitive conversation out of the way, and get a head start on the next week. I know Lane does believe in some separate travel, and it's not being a prima donna or anything. It's simply yeah. a, t- a way for them to go ahead and get moving for uh, whatever's next. That makes some sense, but uh, it looks like a fun time in there. It didn't look like that uh, that Golding had any interest in that photo. He was just sitting sideways, believe the side of his See, head. See, I think he was recruiting. Okay. I think he was texting. I think he was on his phone hollering at recruits. That would make some sense. I, I figured yeah. he was doing something, whether it was that or film. or. It actually uh, reminded me a little bit of, I think it was the SEC Championship game. There's a fairly famous, is not the right word, but a notable image of Lane 
and the confetti's coming down and all, and he's just on his phone and he's texting recruits. He's like recruiting while all this party is going on from Atlanta around him when he's at Alabama. That's probably what it was. You mentioned something earlier about Ole Miss being three and one in their last four trips to Starkville. One of Ole Miss's game notes, you've been around this rivalry for a while, as have I, and I I guess this was surprising to me, but it it wasn't at the same time once I thought about it. They said all time. Ole Miss, I'm going to make sure I don't butcher this. Ole Miss is 11 and four in Starkville on games played on Thanksgiving night. Oh, that I wouldn't have guessed that at all. Well, you know, a long time the state won all of its home games in the series, but I guess that came Saturday, kind of right after that. Yeah, because you know the the Egg Bowl stopped being on Thanksgiving for a while after 2003. Yes. I think. 2003, 2005, somewhere in there. Okay, yeah. And obviously they won in 03. So State won at home in 5, 7, 9, 11, 13. And none of those games were on Thanksgiving. So it's a bit of a skewed stat where they stopped just before the Bulldogs went on a pretty good run um, there in Starkville. Yeah, for sure. And that makes sense. So as far as this team and what this season means, it was – I've mentioned this to Weldon a couple of times. The end of this football season has been very strange to me because Ole Miss gets through its first nine games at eight and one, and they have this free shot in Athens at Georgia with an outside shot to the college football playoff and all that. It doesn't go well. And then it's just kind of like, okay, you have, you know, your November bye week against a terrible group of five school and then a hapless state team, it almost felt like the season was not literally over, but from a content storyline standpoint, stagnant and almost figuratively over after that Georgia game. I can't remember an end to the season like this. Part of this is because of the state of the Mississippi State program, but it was just a very odd ending to a very successful season. It says a lot about... And I don't know what to make of this because I, you know, we're in message board land and sometimes it's kind of like social media where you can get skewed on what the, I'm using air quotes, the average fan thinks. It's, it's definitely having the FCS game, it's state's program and it being, they're just being a pressure on Thursday night more than play and win, a, win an SEC game and celebrate it. It was more of relief for Ole Miss people just to get through it on Thursday and to get to 10 and two. And it's, it, it's kind of what I, I think I was talking about this with you last week, maybe in the, one of the postgame shows was that I kind of urge Ole Miss fans to enjoy this a little more. I feel like there's so much of an emphasis on that final win total and getting into the access or getting to Orlando or getting in the portal or keeping guys. And, and you know what the playoff, I think maybe the playoff is causing this for next year 100% is that we have this crazy forward look, to where we're not paying attention to what's actually going on in the moment. I, I don't feel like you're necessarily enjoying the wins, enjoying the celebration, enjoying the weeks where you know you're about to be 10-2. and two. Like, that's supposed to be some of the coolest things is when you – and I get that the blowout loss to Georgia affected this in a lot of ways and messed with people's heads. But this should be the pretty cool moments right here. I mean, even today as we're doing this podcast, I mean, I watch – Iowa and Nebraska make a mockery of college football on the TV screen. Missouri and Arkansas are about to kick off. You're in the clubhouse. You're 10 and 2. Your feet are up. I, I think some of it is that where we're constantly looking ahead to what's next because I made the argument on the postgame show two weeks in a row that I think this is the most successful on paper season in modern Ole Miss football history. I do. I believe that wow. and I, I stand by that um, on paper. 
And when that's the case, I think there's something to, hey, even a game like last night, your your rival, your in-state opponent, because even take out if you go, hey, that's not who we need to focus on. You're right. If, if Ole Miss focuses on state too much, they can't meet their goals. That's 100% true. But you do share a lot of real estate and a lot of geography with them where you have to have an eye on them and you have to you have to stay well ahead of them. And even last night, enjoy that. You got to win in their place. You did so many different things. I feel like it all became, hey, just get through this and then is Arkansas going to beat Missouri? Are we going to be in the Cotton or the Fiesta or the Peach or is it going to be Iowa and the Citrus? Take a breath. You know, there's something too always that we say the – the build is more exciting than being there and winning games and the stress that comes with trying to stay on the mountaintop. And I get Ole Miss is not, you know, they haven't peaked. I mean, they haven't gotten where they want to go. But it's pretty rarefied air. I mean, as Neil mentioned, they're clearly the number three program in the SEC right now from a win-loss standpoint over the last couple of over the last three years. And because of that, I just think everybody needs to take a breath a little bit and and, and actually enjoy the process that is playing out and not be so worried about what's to come. That's going to come, and you should have some confidence that when it does come, you're in a pretty damn good position because they figured out the portal. They got some money through the Grove Collective. You got more on that coming next week, something like that. I I think that sometimes there's almost too much worry instead of just taking the breath and being where they are a little bit. I'm not not doing the Tony Robbins thing necessarily, but, hey, you know, let's, let's be where your feet are for a minute. We'll get back to Chase in just one second, but before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. Back to Chase. I think enjoying it more is is definitely on point, and I think it's a great point as well because – they're now just a program that wins a bunch of games. And you mentioned yeah. this being the most successful on-field season in Ole Miss history. I was kind of unpacking that right after you said it. It's probably the first season, successful season, that is, because you can make this skewed and go into some bad teams. They didn't lose a single game they were, weren't supposed to lose. Like the two losses, they were supposed to lose those games. They lost two road games 
to the two most successful programs in college football might end up being the two best teams in the country. And they beat On everybody the else. When's the last time they had a season where they beat every single person they were supposed to in every single coin flip game? I mean, I said that last night on air, and I think the only pushback I had was somebody going, well, the team in 1970 went 9-2 and two or something like that. Maybe it wasn't 1970, but whatever year it was. And I, yeah, going, I was okay, negative 25 good. years old. I'm going to rule that team out. <laughs> so, I mean, that's my – because, look, yeah, is it the most ever? No, but I said since integration. I think that's a good barometer. I think that's where it is because the teams that would be in that conversation – you know, that team in 1990-91, wherever, that uh, had they beaten Tennessee, they were going to win the SEC. Okay. But they didn't beat Tennessee, and they ended up in, like, the, Liber the Independence Bowl or the Liberty Bowl. You're out once that's the case. Um, 03, they went 7-1. and one. It's their best SEC season ever. They had Eli Manning, but they lost to Memphis and Texas Tech. Yep. You're out. Sorry. I mean, it just is what it is. 2008, they lost to South Carolina and Vanderbilt. No. The you know I know Nud had a rolling, but that was not the case. In 2014, they lost 30 to nothing in Fayetteville. They lost a home game to Auburn. No, you're out. You lost that. You know you beat Alabama. It's a huge win, but they did other things that just didn't make that the case. And and then in 2015, you lost to Memphis. I, I just when I go through all the years, again on paper, was the, is this the best team of the modern era? Hell no. Not at all. It's not the most talented. It's not the best. It's not any of those things. But what they did on the field, persevering, showing what you could do with the portal and actually building some team chemistry out of it, having leaders like Judkins and some of those offensive linemen and even guys on defense that, you know, aren't necessarily heralded as that case. And Jackson Dard, who it's probably the toughest in a line of really tough quarterbacks that just find ways to get things done. They just sort of had the secret sauce. They had a ton of comebacks in the second half. They didn't get rattled. And I, I don't think that's, you know, a lot of times we go, hey, you're winning a lot of close games. That means you're due to lose some. And in a way, yes, that is true. You're not always going to win all the Pythagorean coin flips that happen. But I do think it's a little more complicated. It's a little more toward Ole Miss's credit there. In this portal era, you're going to win games in the second half if you have a lot of chemistry and a lot of belief in, in each other and if you actually have a lot of continuity inside your roster. That's going to beat teams that are just a bunch of mercenaries who haven't bought in in that way. You know, this Ole Miss team would have absolutely beaten last year's Ole Miss team in the second half if it was a close game because they simply were better prepared for that. And when you do that all year long and in ways that show so much ability in that in that fashion, I do think that's not simply luck or that's not simply circumstance. I think that's something you have built inside that one season. Now, can you carry that from year in, year out? I don't know. We'll find that out. We'll see what happens in the portal. But – Ole Miss trailed in the second half to Tulane, Arkansas, LSU, Texas A&M, and Mississippi State, and they won all those football games. That's not simply luck. That's having the ability to get things accomplished. And, no, you're right, 10-2, and two, 10 wins. The only two losses are absolutely the two hardest teams in the schedule, two powers, two teams that have won national championships, and they were both on the road. There's not another season that's done that. You know, 21, they lost to Auburn. It just isn't – I'm, I'm, I'm pretty set on this. I don't know that on paper there's even really an argument that I'm wrong. I don't think there is, too, playing that out more. And it goes back to enjoying where your feet are. As I've made the point the uh, earlier this week is this whole 
era we've had where you knew the expansion was coming, but it was still the 14 playoff felt like for most programs trying to be as well positioned as humanly possible when it did finally go to 12 and the seat, seats at the table expanded. And Ole Miss has done that better than any other program in the SEC. As Neil pointed out, uh, you know, last night, they're easily the third best program in the SEC. That's an air that dozens of programs across the country are trying to get to and very few do and Ole Miss has done it as well or anyone in terms of being that second tier program you know positioning itself to get in a great position to be a somewhat regular in the 12 team playoff era they're there and it's the importance of hiring Lane Kiffin when they did and being proactive when it comes to NIL and getting everyone involved if this is if 2021 was a seven and five team and last year went eight and four and you're not really competing for anything, but you're having some success is, is the NIL where it's at is Ole Miss as a brand where they're at, are they as nationally relevant as where they're currently at? No, none of that is true. And so as you know, mundane of his season ending season's end, as it was given the opponents and the blowout to Georgia and all that, you just win a bunch of football games and that has not happened here consistently uh, you know, historically, and it's a credit to Kiffin and everything they built. And so I think enjoying it, the ride before, you know, wherever you want to go gets there, whether you get there or not is, is important because again, they're just kind of a program that wins a ton of games and has good chemistry for the most part and wins a bunch of close games. And it's something it's, it's, it's remarkable to watch because I think this team will be remembered for its resiliency for the reasons you just said the drives after things go haywire. I swear in every single one of those games you listed after they fell behind in the second half, they followed up with the touchdown every single time. That's not a coincidence. That's not easy to do. And that's not nothing. And it's, it's incredibly impressive. And so that's what I wanted to ask. And maybe it's a question for after the bowl game, but we'll get to the meaning meaningful or lack of meaningfulness of that in a second. But like, what do you think the legacy of this team is? Because now there's some hints that some of these key pieces could be coming back to me, this could end up being a team that laid a groundwork for something bigger to come. And I don't know what that something is, but this felt like a resilient team that was fun, that liked each other, that the fans really liked and attached themselves to, that had a ton of success and really kind of laid a foundation into this new world of college football, the expanded 12-team playoff. You know, that's what we were kind of trying to debate and somewhat on last night on the uh, on the postgame show is that it's going to be a lot of proof of concept next year if Kiffin is able to get in the portal and accomplish what he accomplished this season, which is guys who are going to buy in, character. You know, and he talked about it sporadically through the season is that last year out of the portal before the 22 season, he just went for best available, give me all the talent, we'll figure it out. And look, you you obviously are always going to do some of those things. I mean, you're going to have misses like Michael Trigg and Chris Marshall and, and, and those guys. But – he focused more on, okay, what's this guy like? How much is he going to care? What's he been like at the other school? I mean, you're you're going deeper. You're going NFL free agent deep on how is this guy going to be as a member of my franchise for how many years that's going to happen. You focus on multiple, you know, multi-year guys if you can afford them, and, and then that works out in that way. So if proof of concept shows that he can do that again and they can be great judges of character and judges of buy-in and commitment, well, then he's got something. He's cooking with gas because you're going to mix that with Dart coming back. This high-profile quarterback is going to be one of the top couple quarterbacks in the league. You know, Judkins comes back and nothing goes haywire there. I mean, you and I might disagree on which one is more likely, but they're probably going to get at least one pass catcher back from this team that they really like. You might get two. You might. You could even hit some goal mine stuff of getting, you know, three if you count Priest Corn as a tight end being a pass catcher. 
they've got a lot back on offense. They've got to replace some offensive linemen. They've got to – it's back to the other point. You either got to buy or show that you develop some offensive linemen better than you thought because they do have some holes there. They got to fix some stuff. They buying got stuff linemen going in the portal is hard. It is. Uh, yeah. Well, A, there's not many. And then two, because there aren't many, they're expensive. Yep. So you have all those things. And then on defense, they got some guys back. There's guys I like, but Golding's going to have to earn his paycheck again. They're going to have to buy some guys. They're going to have to find guys that fit. And when you look at this team overall, I thought that's maybe the story of it outside of being able to get so much accomplished with a small roster sizes and who actually played is Golding used so many role players in ways that was beneficial and made things happen. You know, got really good reps out of Stephon Wynn and Josh Harris and guys who didn't pop at previous schools. Um, Dejon Anthony 100% had the side speed ratio to compete in the SEC and went from a guy who was basically in Conference USA or whatever to, I guess, wherever Liberty was, um, independent, but Conference USA now, to playing a very vital role on a team that's, ten, you know, 10 wins inside the SEC. They found so many of those knacks on, hey, we need someone to do this thing. And when you do this thing, it can work inside the system. It's, I think it's what Kiffin was actually talking about early in the year. You know, I've heard a lot of people around the Grove Collective over the course of the last 12 months talk about Moneyball. And I feel like sometimes people thought, oh, that just is them saying they can't get the high-profile recruit and you're just trying to make things work in different ways. And sure, I think in, in a way that's right. But in a way, that wasn't the point. In a way, the point was, hey, we've got to fix this one thing. So find, find somebody who can do this thing. I don't need them to do everything. I need them to do this thing. And I do feel like a guy like Dejon Anthony or, you know, whomever you want to pick, depending on what your portal thought is and what we're talking about, they found guys that could be the Scott Hatterberg that goes and plays first base. You know what I mean? Like there's that yeah. point of, hey, no, I don't need him to be an All-American. I need him to be able to play this and this defense and cover that dude. Okay, well, if he does that, base. he's worth every penny. Do what? He gets on base. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that that's the whole thing. point. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do that. Okay, cool. I'm good. So it wasn't we're going to neglect all the top free agents or we're not going to try to go get the Jackson Darts of the world. It's just when you get a guy, have a purpose for the guy. Don't blindly go get a bunch of dudes just because they're athletes and hope you figure it out and it all works out and you're all good. If you're going to get a dude, you got to explain to me, if we're going to spend that money, Explain to me what he is going to accomplish and what role he is going to play that makes sense for this team on the whole. And I feel yeah. like Kiffin and Golding did a hell of a job of that. And it's it's the, the you know the the best available. Of course, you're trying to look for the best available talent. But like the five star Chris Marshall, well, why is he leaving A and M? Well, sounds like for similar reasons where he did not end up on Ole Miss's team. It's the right guys too. That I think it's a great point that you that you do whatever thing you need well. It doesn't have to be necessarily an all American like the Dejon Anthony's the. I mean, Zamari Walton has been a hell of a corner for them that they it's got. Been awesome. Amazing. And the less tangible side of it, too, that you hit on in the beginning, it's guys that buy in. And I don't know if they did this on purpose and just got away from it in 22, but 21, you know, Chance Campbell, great dude by all accounts. Um, Mark Robinson. Troy Brown. Yeah, Troy Brown, great dudes by all accounts. Like all of those types of guys. Um, hell, Jacor Pearson got Dayton Wade to Ole Miss. Like it, it almost like builds on itself in a weird way. And I'm not saying you should count stuff like that, but guys that are good. Well, and Mark Robinson only showed up because he was buddies with Otis Reese. Yes. And Otis Reese is like, I come do this. And so 
it goes back to finding the right guys, good character guys that like each other. They don't I mean, for, I hate using this phrase, but they don't seemingly have a ton of shitheads on this team. Um, they, they just have a bunch of guys that buy in and Kiffin talked about that last night. He said, this is not for everybody. I feel like we run a tough program that we put a lot of responsibility and a lot of stress on these kids and the guys that can handle it. And I think he said something to the effect of names you all know are not here anymore. And the ones that can are still here. And he seemed genuinely proud of this team in this season last night. And I think that was calculated in a way too. And look, here's the thing to that. And this is a credit because this is hard to do. When you identify shitheads, get rid of them. Yep. It's hard sometimes to go, hey, we got money in this guy. We know if it just works out and you can be all Pollyanna and go, hey, we're cool. But it's another to go, nope, 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 nope. He is a negative. He is he is a negative to this team. Because, look, I was doing a podcast earlier this year. I'm going to be very vague to not let anybody identify who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody affiliated with the program, and they said that was one of the biggest difference this year compared to last year is that last year – they had a couple guys who simply were not good team guys, were causing problems, and that they were dragging other players with them and creating cancers, whereas this time they were just axed, and it was over. Because if Caden Priestcorn doesn't get hurt, Michael Trigg doesn't play in a game this season, in my opinion. They simply had no choice but to have him because they did not have a tight end. And now that's a whole different problem, and that's a mistake. But – once pre-scoring came back, it was very evident that Trigg's days were numbered. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if his days were numbered and then pre-scoring got hurt and that number maybe just grew temporarily a little bit. Maybe something along those lines. Um. Anyway, so as you put the season in totality, uh, it was a very successful one for Ole Miss. It was a fun one to watch. It was a fun one to cover for sure. The bowl game aspect of it, and you talk about the actual ending of this game. You know, Dart gave the very – um positive company line about how bowl games are huge momentum builders for next year. And they hope they get in the new year six. They're excited about it. How do you view this thing? Because as I pointed out before we uh, started recording, I watched Judkins press conference from last night and he got, he got asked and to his credit. I, I'm not trying to like get a gotcha here. This is nothing about Judkins, the kid at all. The guy asked the question in a bad way. There was a reporter who I'm, I'm, it sounded like a TV reporter. And I don't know how that makes any sense to anyone who has not been in the room before. And yeah, see, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So <laughs> the guy's clearly trying to ask Judkins, you know, how bad do you want to go play in a New Year's Six game? But the question comes out as, Quinshawn, do you want to play in a New Year's Day game? And he goes, I mean, I'd prefer not to, but I don't really care. And of course, someone goes, well, why? And he goes, well, I'd prefer to spend New Year's Day with my family. And so, you know, if it's a better question and Quinshawn understands in the moment that he's asking about New Year's Six versus non-New Year's Six, of course the answer is going to be different. But it did make me laugh, and it's probably a decent segue into what you put on the value of whether they make New Year's Six or go to the Citrus. I don't put a ton of value on it other than – The irony of that is that the Citrus is actually played on New Year's Day and the peach nor the cotton (laughs) is. I didn't even think about that part. It's – and for me, I've been to Orlando. I didn't enjoy Camping World Stadium, not in the greatest area. It's like like selfishly, if I'm going to go, I'd be like, please just get into the New Year's Six. I don't want to go to Orlando again. Like, that's my hang up on it. But outside of that, just enjoy your bonus game, get a win, and get ready for the 12-team playoff the next year. I just don't put a ton of stock into yeah, it. Okay, but I understand okay, why New Year's Six matters. Okay, here's the deal. When we have this conversation, let me preface it with none of this is that big of a deal. Yes. You've already accomplished the thing that actually matters, which is win as many regular season games as possible. No one is going to go, you know what, we're not going to rank Ole Miss in the top 25 because they lost the Fiesta Bowl. 
that's just not a thing. Well, fair enough. But beyond that, that doesn't happen. Now let's talk about what matters more is in some sort of appeal. I think from a program standpoint, now there, there, there are people out there that go, hey, if it's not an access bowl, you can't consider it the best season ever. They have no, they have no ability, like they have no power over that. It, it's not in a vacuum that has no relevance to anything. Um, Ole Miss has gone to two quote access, but not quote. Ole Miss has gone to two access bowls with three losses before, just because of the way it fell in the in the conference. They can't help that Missouri's doing what they're doing right now. Ole Miss has no impact on that. They're not playing the Tigers, who are up seven nothing on Arkansas. By the way, as we're talking, um, if you just told me to pick something. And again, these are very small, razor-thin differences. None of it really matters. I think that assuming Ole Miss is the better team, and I do, winning an 11th game by beating a Big Ten division champion in Iowa is a bigger deal than going to a bowl game to simply say you played in that bowl game. Now, look, if you go, hey, nope, Chase, they're going to go to the Cotton Bowl and they're going to beat Texas. Well, okay, yeah, that's better. Sure, 100%. I, I get that. But without knowing who you're going to play, I like the security of going, you know, the Citrus is a pretty damn good bowl. You're going to play the Hawkeyes, who are going to be 9-3, and assuming they lose to Ohio State and Michigan. They won the Big Ten West. You can make that work. Hey, next year when Ole Miss is ranked wherever, it's going to have 11-2 and out next to their name because that was their record the year before. They've got the quarterback back. I think getting the total win number up and winning 11 for the first time in school history I think those are really big deals. I think those are things that that if you're going to say there's something in this that matters, that is something that matters. I, I really do. So, I think guaranteeing – did they really fumble that football? I really think something like that has more um, to do with anything else. KJ Jefferson is down on the ground, and it distracted me for a second. I really hope he's not hurt. I like that kid a lot. Um It's where I think people are missing the forest for the trees. If you're going to go to the Fiesta Bowl and play Liberty, that's not a better game than going to the than going to Orlando and playing Iowa. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely you, does. You don't know who your opponent is. I can get behind that. You at least know you're going to play a Big Ten team in the Citrus Bowl, even though I just kind of dumped all over Orlando. But, hey, go. Enjoy it. Enjoy the sunny weather, I guess. It's a uh, <laughs> – it's it's going to be interesting. Do you? I, I don't. People. I, I, the most common question I get at Thanksgivings and stuff like this, or just talking to people out around town, is like, "Do you think they're making an access ball?" I'm like, "Dude, I am too dumb to try to figure out the math needed for this." Do you have any sort of beat on what they need to happen? I get it. Mizzou losing, I can get that much of it. Mizzou losing would be good for them, but the likelihood of it yes. being Mizzou and okay. Ole Miss, can you give me any okay. sort of read? Yes. On that? Yes. Okay. Stay with me for a second. Okay. They have to. To guarantee themselves in an access bowl, guaranteed where nothing else matters, they have to be in the top 10, okay? If they're ranked 10th or better, they're guaranteed a spot no matter what, okay? Okay. If they finish 11th, they are in if an ACC team is not in the playoff, okay? Okay, and they are ahead of Louisville. Okay. Okay. Got me. Yes. So I'll the get last to ranking that comes okay, out okay. is going to be uber important. 
Yeah, because okay, here's the deal. Let me, let me, let me, I've had a hard time putting this into words, whereas I know it in my head, but I've struggled explaining it where people can understand it. Tulane or Liberty or SMU or some damn body is going to get in. So it's really not the top 12. It's the top 11, okay? The ACC is guaranteed that their highest-ranked team not in the playoff goes to the Orange Bowl. So that's two if FSU wins out. Yes, if FSU wins out, Louisville is in no damn matter where they are ranked. Okay? So if they're ranked behind you, they have taken a spot from you potentially. If they are ranked ahead of you, it doesn't matter because they're in either way. So you can get in and you're, if you're in the top 11 unless Florida State is in the playoff and Louisville is ranked behind you. Okay. Because they're going to knock you down to 12. Okay. So that's actually not as complicated as I thought it would. Does be. that make sense? To, yeah, I wish I'd talked to you on Tuesday. I could have. But now, in saying that, if Florida State doesn't make the playoff and they finish fifth, they have got the ACC's berth in the Orange Bowl wrapped up. Hence, if you could just finish ahead of Louisville, you would be in. I have no idea if Judkins' answers an indicator of this or not. I just thought it was kind of a funny answer. It's one, I mean, question. I guess last thing, I actually think Ole Miss is in decent shape because Louisville already has a pretty crap resume. Yeah. So if they go lose to Florida State next week in the championship game, even though it's only two losses, I think they fall behind Ole Miss. Okay. Which would move Ole Miss up into whatever. The only other thing I'll say is Oklahoma could steal a bid too. Oklahoma could jump Ole Miss at some point. Okay. So you have to, that ranking is important, but just because Ole Miss is going to sit in eleventh on Tuesday, doesn't mean they're going to stay at eleven. They need Oklahoma kind of out of there. That that would worry me a little bit about the Sooners. Okay, so that makes sense. And then no, they're, I mean they're, yeah, they're not out, and they don't have to have Arkansas win this game, which is not going to happen. It looked like so if people aren't watching, and again we're going to get this podcast up as soon as possible. Uh, Missouri's up seven nothing. KJ Jefferson went for a long run. And he fumbled, but he fumbled only because he appeared to really tear something in his leg, oh, no. and he dropped the ball on the way down. Um, so he has been taken off the field, and without him, Missouri is about to beat the hell out of Arkansas. Yikes. That is, I hate that for that kid. I like him. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 he broke two tackles, went on a great run, and as he was falling, he dropped the ball to grab his knee or his leg or whatever he was grabbing. Do you think access or non-access changes player buy-in or motivation at all? <laughs> um, I think my answer is generally no. Yeah, I'm, 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 I think I'm no. I mean, I, a kid either is going to – because, look, the Citrus Bowl is still a good bowl. They're going to get some neat shit. Um, You either want to play or you don't. No, I don't think it's, hey, well, if they're in Atlanta or if they're in Orlando or whatever. No, no, no. I mean, you're, you, you're going to play or you're not going to play. And then hey, look, there'll be somebody who doesn't play. So go ahead and get ready for that. Calm down. It's going to be all right. And they weren't checked out necessarily of the Texas Bowl last year because it was the Texas Bowl. They were checked out because of how their season ended. And this ended on a very, very high note. They just won 10 games for the second, you know, second time in three years. So I'm kind of with you there. Last couple of random notes. I want to get your thoughts on the state situation in a second, but there are just a couple of random housekeeping notes from the press conference I found interesting. Actually, we covered two of them. Just one real uh, one. Uh, they... Let Caden Costa kick last night. I guess this is my on-air apology to Weldon um, and I guess Bracken because he was sitting next to me when it happened. Tom Hart, I guess I can throw him on the apology as well, said Caden Costa made that initial field goal. And I wasn't paying attention when the kid kicked it, but I see when they're showing the celebration of the kicker and the battery afterward that it says C. Davis. So I'm convinced that 
Hart just made a broadcasting mistake. Like he said the wrong Caden. But what turned out was, I believe it was Costa kicking and Davis holding instead. So they were actually both out there and Costa kicked a field goal. So I was wrong on that. That's not the important part. Lane got asked about it in his post-game press conference. And he started joking about how he just wanted to be the team with two Cadens who hit bomb field goals. But then he goes, there also might've been something out there that pre-scorn didn't do right. And just said, that would be interesting for you to go take a look at that. I thought for a second, I had to replay it twice. I was like, what the hell is he talking about pre-scorn? What would that have to do with Davis or versus Costa kicking? My thought was, they were going to run some kind of fake to pre-scorn and have Davis chuck a bomb there. That's the only deduction I could make from that statement. Oh, or not chuck a bomb, some kind of fake and have the the kicker turned holder to throw a pass. I don't know if you picked up on this, but I thought it was kind of wildly. But bad. the holder was Davis. It appeared to be Davis because now it's confirmed that Costa was definitely the kicker. But unless I'm going completely bananas insane, I saw Caden Davis out there on the field with them, and so. I'll have to go back and watch the play. I probably should have anyway, but we had potential for a Caden Davis to Caden Priestcorn fake with Caden Costa kicking. That's too many. That's too much of a mouthful. I, I, I'm actually, I'm actually really glad that if 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 Priestcorn messed up. By the way, that is way too many Cadens. I'm very confused now. If Priestcorn messed that up, I'm I'm really happy about it because. The message board meltdown if Ole Miss doesn't go up 3 nothing and oh messes gosh. up a fake field goal at that point would have been legendary. So let's let let's just let 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 all well go well and let's move on with our day. Like Yeah, I just thought that was a fascinating Kiffin note. And like he kind of has that Kiffin smirk on his face when he answered the question. So I was like, I actually probably should have gone back and watched it, but it is what it is. Last thing before we get out of here, you had talked about the state side of it and this last night's result being what they deserve. Greg Knox seems like a good dude. He tried to play up the game. I didn't understand the four-wheeler thing. I don't, Cole Kublik looked like someone had just like after he he interviewed Knox on the uh four-wheeler, his facial expression was like his smell that he'd never smelled before and didn't know what it was. He couldn't like wrap his head around the answer because he asked him about the four-wheeler and Knox said something about it being emblematic of adversity. I, I didn't really get that. But you mentioned they kind of deserve this. Where do they go from here? Because if it's Levy, that would tell me a lot of people said no to their job. That doesn't mean Levy's going to be a bad hire. He may end up being great. But that's surprising to me if that's true, because I know for a fact they didn't identify Levy as a top three option and say, this is our guy. Okay, I, I think Greg Knox is a good dude. He did everything he possibly could have done over these last two weeks to do whatever it was that was possible. Because look, if Greg Knox mails it in, they get beat really badly last night. And like, that team had quit he, by AM. They at least played hard the yeah. last two weeks. He he did a good job. He was he was using the one because I think even like Siski and Lane both said this you know, over the course of the week in different formats. Is when you're an interim coach, you're not doing X's and O's. You're just doing a motion. You're hoping they can ride some wave and you know do do that crap and make it work. And you pull off some sort of Cadillac Auburn thing at some point. So. I don't blame Greg Knox. What he was, he he used the full wheeler. He probably overplayed it. He was trying to play off some Inky Johnson motivational speech, where like when you fall off, you get back on, and okay. like somehow a four wheeler was involved with that. Whatever. He just set himself up for plenty of jokes. I mean, as I said on the post game last night, I think it was Ryan Brown. I'll give him credit. At halftime, he had some comment about how that was State's only drive of the night was Knox on the four-wheeler, and I, I I thought that was very clever. I was A-plus a, a on the Twitter machine for that one. Um, 
Lebby is very interesting if he's the guy. And I'm saying if most people believe that he's actually headed to Starkville tonight. If we're wrong, then we're just wrong. But if it is Lebby, it shows that they have decided to stick with offense as their premise. You go in for an offensive coach instead of a defensive coach, which is a transition from what Arnett was trying to do and be defense first and pro style. And it's impossible to rule out that it is a bit of a mimic off Ole Miss because, you know, one of what one of Levy's things is going to be, hey, in that 21 season, they went 10-2, and two and I operated a lot of stuff on the day-to-day. I did as much as Lane did. And, again, whether that's right or wrong, that's not my conversation. My conversation is that I think Levy probably says that kind of thing in an interview. Um, I know Mississippi, Ole Miss, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff, Jeff would have the ability to – um, to 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 make someone believe even those meetings, and I, again, not saying it's wrong or right or whatever. And then also, he has a connection to that AD. He came from Oklahoma. Selman was at Oklahoma before Mississippi State. It just makes a lot of sense in those ways. Um, look, I like Jeff. Better bring a lunch pail. It's a really hard job, and I I do question whether he's ready for that type of job right now at, at this stage of his career. Um, you know, Oklahoma struggled with it at times this season. How is State going to handle the Art Bryles connection and him being around to the level that he is? There are several different parts of this that, if it is Levy, make it make it pretty fascinating. But look, he's a he's a really good offensive coach. He's done a hell of a job at Oklahoma. Um, he will have some impact on this program at Mississippi State for sure. I'm not saying he's a bad hire at all. It, but it is absolutely as you're saying, a hire that shows. You didn't get your first choice. You didn't get your second choice, and you're banking on a very specific thing working as you move forward. And if they get, you know, they were reactive to NIL. They weren't very proactive. I don't think they had the correct hire for that current era. As you know, Leach was serviceable. He won a decent amount of games. They were but good. then they, but then they allowed our, you know, Arnett went out and raised a lot of money himself, and it wasn't Ole Miss money, but it was like as far as the Grove collected. But it was a good chunk. He did a good job in short periods of time without a lot of mandate from a hiring standpoint, and then you fired him before he could even use it. Yes, and I don't wholeheartedly blame them for firing him, but it is very short-sighted. They've now had three coaches in the last, like, five seasons or whatever, but that's kind of my point. What are you if you miss on this? I mean, if you talk about the hire of the era or the hire of the millennium, whatever you want to call it from Mississippi State, what what do you – what do you? how do you regroup if you miss on this? I think that's the point, is that your eggs are in this basket. You're already kind of falling behind the league. Forget Ole Miss, just the league. You don't just compete against Ole Miss. You compete against now 15 other schools when Texas and Oklahoma are 14 and 15. That's where where your neighbors are. That's your neighborhood that you're dealing with at this point. And it feels like if you mess this one up, no matter how fast you get out of it, you're just going to be that much farther behind, and it's going to be exponential, and it's going to be hard to catch up. So, no, it is – Right or wrong, maybe Lebby is the savior and he's their new Mullen. Maybe it's incorrect, but either way, there's a lot riding on this hire. I mean, there just really is. State is in a really significant place where they have to figure out if they're moving up or down or staying stagnant or what's going on with their program. And it's another situation of another scheme change, another change in in process. They just – they've had no continuity. They fired Arnett after 10 games. They fired Moorhead after two seasons. Um they just haven't trusted a lot of guys. You know what I mean? Like, they just haven't been able to put the program in somebody's hands. They did with Leach, obviously. But as you said, he was not equipped for this era of NIL and the extra players and the way this was going. 
it, it, it's a it's a fairly scary time. And look, maybe again, maybe Levy's the home run they need. I don't know, but I just know that they've sort of stumbled into this, and now we're going to see whether it works or not. He is Chase Parham. I appreciate you filling in. We'll have lots more coverage. Sign up for rebelgrove.com. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, bud. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening. As always, hope you had a safe and happy Thanksgiving and you're enjoying the time off and some time with family as well. Enjoy the rest of the football this weekend. We'll be back with Weldon on Sunday. Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend, and we'll talk to you on Sunday.